You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. Welcome to the Locked On Hornets podcast. I'm Walker Mail alongside Nada Edwards. No Doug Branson once again today, but he will be joining us, I think, tomorrow. He'll be coming back. He's been crazy busy, but he should settle down once again after he comes back tomorrow. So you can check us out on Twitter at Walker Mail, at Nada the Scribe, and at Doug Branson LOH. You can find the show handle on most social media platforms at Locked On Hornets. And we'll head to the guest line now where we'll talk with Rick Bennell like we do every single Tuesday. And you can catch all of his work and his Twitter handle at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thanks so much for joining us once again. How are you doing? I'm great, Walker, and thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, Rick. And, and a couple things to get to as we saw a couple of games go down since last time we talked against the Oklahoma City Thunder, against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and now we've got 10 games under our belt this season with the Charlotte Hornets. And just looking at some of the things that have really taken, uh, that we've taken notice of this team, you, know, you look at just the close games that they've played, Rick. The games that they've won, besides the Miami one at the beginning of the season, the very beginning of the slate, every other one of their victories has been by a significant point margin. All the losses, for the most part, except against Toronto, they've been very close. And this is the old bugaboo of the Charlotte Hornets. They can't quite seem to find a way to win these close games. And some interesting clutch stats came out, Rick, where it looks like nobody is performing in the clutch outside of Kimball Walker. How much do they need to improve in that area, and just how bad has this team been in the clutch? Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, I really appreciate the, um, the level of statistics at a high level that um, the NBA provides, and they do something where they fake out um, what they call clutch time, which is the last five minutes of any game where the, where the score is less than five points difference. I looked it up. I, it really struck me. In those situations this season, the Hornets have taken a total of 39 shots. I was not surprised that Kemba has taken 19 of those shots. He's made six of them. To me, what's interesting is the rest of the team combined in those situations is three of 20. Um, you know, we've talked for a long time about how this team needs to be, you know, more diverse down the stretch of close games, and there's no question that's true. But to me, the real issue is not how many shots Kemba has taken, as it is when is somebody else going to demonstrate that, they, that they're prepared to be an alternative to Kemba because the numbers, you know, are really, really bad. Obviously, at the end of games like this, you expect teams in general um, to not shoot all that well since defenses by that point are, are so, you know, obviously motivated and also they understand by that point in the game, you know, probably what you're going to run. The NBA is a very well-scouted league, but – you know, three of 20 for everybody not named Kemba Walker is awful and explains a lot of explains a lot about why they're one and four in games decided by five points or less. And Rick, I think a lot of people would look at Malik Monk as the guy to try to hit some of yep. those shots in the clutch time and just try to be the alternative alternative scoring option behind Kemba. 
And you've seen Malik do some of that. Against Milwaukee, hit a big three to keep them in that game. Against Miami, hit a couple of jump shots. But he's ran kind of hot and cold on the offensive end. How have you noticed, though, how the way Borrego is using Malik Monk and how that's affected his game? Actually, Walker, I thought that was a, that's a really sort of neat little thing that because there's been so much going on, probably escaped a whole lot of attention. Um, it's interesting to me that the um, the brief um, is Malik because he's six foot three and has some passing ability, a part time um, point guard, and it's looking more and more like the answer is probably not. Um, I find it interesting that um, JB has left Malik at shooting guard, um, expects him to make still make some facilitation plays as a shooting guard. But if you notice, I mean, the, the most significant thing they did in the offseason was obviously sign Tony Parker and, and add a, you know, and, and devote a, a, um, a high second round pick, you know, trading up with Atlanta to get Devonte Graham so that there's some stability behind Kemba at point guard. The, um, the tumble down effect is that you know, they've stopped trying to make Malik something he isn't, which is a point guard, I, at least, you know, based on the data so far. Rick Bennell of the uh, Charlotte Observer joining us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. And, Rick, you go to the other point guard that is on this team. Tony Parker has just been phenomenal playing for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, he has been playing a decent amount of minutes, though. He did get that one game's rest. I believe it was against Philadelphia earlier this yeah. year. But is there any reason to worry about Tony Parker's minutes? And do you think they've relied too much on Tony? I don't think they've relied too much on Tony because I think that uh, – we need to keep in mind that the uh, decade-long relationship um, between uh, Borrego and Parker. They know each other. They trust each other. Um, if Tony said, I don't know that I'm feeling right, I think that JB would really listen to him. And in the same sense, I think that Borrego can frankly look at Tony and say, are you comfortable giving me 20 minutes tonight? And he'll get an honest <laughs> answer. Um Walker, I, I was trying to figure out a way to illustrate how good Tony Parker has been. And when you just superficially compare his stats this season to last season with the Spurs, it, it, it didn't really illustrate the extent of how, you know, how good he's been. And then somebody suggested to me, well, look at what he's doing per 100 possessions so far. And when you do that, it's just remarkable. Um, it's uh, it's 28 points a game. It's 13.3 assists per game. The guy, when he is on the court, and obviously they need to be surgical about that, has been exceptional. Um, the thing that I keep thinking about when I watch Tony play is that there is not a single thing he does. What, what, you know, every dribble every head turn, every hip fake has a very precise purpose. 
And it's been a long time since you could say anything like that about a Charlotte Hornets backup point guard. Rick, he's been so good for this team. Bobby Marks included him in a tweet about one of the more underrated signings in all of the NBA and its effect in the early going. And you look at some of these other guys that come off of the bench. You know, Tony's had a huge impact with this Hornets team. Is it crazy to think that there's any kind of six-man consideration, at least the conversation he's in now? Here's where that would get complicated. I think that if you extrapolated what he's doing right now over the entire 82 games, what I'm saying is if we are presuming health, and that's no small issue, obviously, with somebody who's 36 and two years removed from a genuinely, um, you know, potentially catastrophic quadriceps, quadriceps tear, I mean, tendon tear, I mean, that. That was an injury that can just, you know, make you walk funny for the rest of your life, and he seems all the way back from it. But, Walker, what I was going to get at is the problem, hypothetically, is they're going to be, and they should be, very, very smart about managing his minutes. What I wonder about is, as you and I both know, um, starters in this league, you know, are, are kind of a, of a weird label. There are people who play 30, 32 minutes off the bench, and they're going to have to make sure that Tony averages no more than roughly 15 to 17 minutes. And Spikin would probably get in the way of a six-man candidacy, but that that doesn't mean that by the end of the season he's not going to be, assuming health, one of the most impactful non-starters in the league. Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us here on the Locked on Hornets podcast. Rick, Jeremy Lamb had a nice performance against Cleveland, his best performance, certainly offensively, of the season. Do you think that can maybe be a bounce-back game and a springboard for him heading forward? Yeah, and you know something? JB's very happy with what he's getting from from uh, Jeremy in ways that absolutely are not, you know, box score kind of things. Um He took a, you know, he really did take a significant risk, not so much in specifically um, starting Jeremy, but not starting MKG as far as figuring out a way to scheme out what they were going to do defensively. And so far, the pairing of Batum and, um, and Lamb has not been a disaster defensively against opposing wings. As long as that happens... I think you gotta you gotta declare this experiment a success. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I think what he's done with Jeremy Lamb has been pretty good, and hopefully, you know, we can see him be a little bit more efficient on the offensive end. And, and Rick, last question for you. I know you wrote about this here recently. Just the impact that Borrego has had on MKG and the way that MKG has bought into this new system under James Borrego. Do you think that Borrego has had the biggest influence on MKG, or is there another player you might think of? Uh, I think what you can argue is that MKG has had the has had um, a huge influence mm-hmm. on Borrego's success so far. Um, they asked him to do something that could really have thrown people off. Uh, you know, Michael started like all but I think three of his first um, 400 some games prior to this season <laughs> in the NBA. They didn't remember. They didn't just ask him to um, stop being a starter. They asked him to play most of his minutes at power forward rather than small forward. Um, in the NBA, that very easily could have 
induced a, a whole lot of pouting, and exactly the opposite has happened. I thought it was, you know, I, I, as you said, I, I did a long one-on-one interview with uh, with Michael about a week a week and a half ago, and I thought it was so cool that he said to me, "I have never been happier before as an NBA player," which says to me that what matters to him is about a whole lot more than ego, Rob, and that's cool. Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Always great stuff here every single Tuesday. You can catch his work at the Charlotte Observer and charlotteobserver.com. Also, he's tweeting out his articles as well at his handle on Twitter, at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thanks so much as always. It's always great to talk to you. Absolutely, Walker. Thanks. Have a good day. All right, you too. Once again, that was Rick Bennell, and a big thanks to him for joining us here on Locked On Hornets. If you want to support our show and the amazing people that put it together, consider joining our Patreon community for as little as $1 a month. You can help us keep making the daily Hornets content that you've come to trust. Go to patreon.com slash LOH. There's a link in the description of this episode, and you can get entered into our contest for free bobbleheads and tickets and get access to content before anyone else. Patreon.com slash LOH. Every dollar goes to making this the best Hornets talk in all of Charlotte. Stick around with us. We're going to take one break, and we'll come back with more from myself, Walker Mail, alongside Nada Edwards. It's the Locked on Hornets podcast. You are listening to the Locked on Hornets podcast. Main character for American Psycho was Patrick Bateman, which really confused me. I always thought that Jason Bateman was Patrick Bateman and that Patrick Bateman was Jason Bateman. (laughs) It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Welcome back to the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Walker Mail, Nada Edwards. Thanks to Rick Bennell once again for joining us here, as he does again. Every single Tuesday, bringing the heat. Exactly. It was a very interesting conversation there. The Atlanta Hawks, they come to town tonight as the Charlotte Hornets are looking for their first two-game winning streak since the second and third games of the season. It's been back and forth every single time since the 2-1 and one record that they got a start to. But... The Atlanta Hawks, they do look like a team that the Charlotte Hornets can beat, and we will talk about that next segment. But just first, Nada, your reactions. It was an interesting conversation. I like this one. I like all of them, but I like this one. This one one was a little bit illuminating because, again, you learn that, again, they basically figured out somehow within, like, I don't know, the first 10 games that Monk really does figure more as a shooting guard to them more than a point guard. I do agree with that notion, even though Monk is an excellent facilitator. I just think it's going to take time for him to eventually slide into one of those combo guard roles. And if he doesn't, look at guys like Lou Williams. Look at look at a guy like Jamal Murray that can do both. I mean, he went for 48 last night. We'll talk about him more later. But still, like guys like that that can facilitate and shoot and score are exactly what you need. There are no really traditional point guards, save for the backup point guard for the Charlotte Hornets right now. And it was interesting with Steve Clifford last season. Anytime talking with Rick and just hearing what Steve would have to say, it seemed like Coach Clifford thought for Malik to have any kind of sustained and his ceiling, right, to reach that kind of success, it was going to come at point guard. Or it was going to have at least some... Some combo role to it, like a Gilbert Arenas-type role. And I understood that to an an extent. But I think he... The one thing I will give Cliff about Monk, because I've agreed with what Cliff did with Monk for most of the year... The one thing I disagreed with him was pigeonholing him in that one spot because I think that was just completely out of, like, you can't throw a rookie 
in that in that spot where the position is exa- uh, basically so deep that he can't help himself. Yeah, I, di- I didn't mind experimenting with him every now and then there, but then it, it looked like it wasn't working. And then so, you know, you have Rick talking to one of the scouts and the scouts saying, yeah, you know, get rid of that point guard stuff that Malik Monk was doing. And it's actually kind of benefited him, at least in that regard. And, and one guy that is pretty good at point guard, not it's yeah. Tony Parker. How about that? I You asked him about that six man. Yeah. And I didn't I, even think about that. And I was like, when I heard it, I was like, Oh, crap. You look Walker's at, right. You look at what he's done compared to some of these other guys. There's no way in hell Tony Parker wins the sixth man of the year award this season. Don't no. get it twisted. But it is interesting to stack some of his numbers up against the guys you would expect to win. Lou Williams, somebody that Absolutely. is always going to be in the conversation, he scores 19 points a game. It's one of those guys that basically is made for this sixth man of the year award, just like Jamal, where they'll play a lot of minutes, they'll score a lot of points, it'll get your attention, and here's your award, right? Yeah, like exactly. Eric Gordon fits that same mold from what you got from him last season with the Houston Rockets. But Julius Randle is somebody that is averaging 18 and 7 right now. So it's going to be tough to give Tony Parker the award over guys like that. But just when you compare his numbers, you know, Tony Parker is averaging over 10 points a game averaging five assists per game off the bench, his efficiency per 100 possessions. Yeah, that, possessions. that was the thing. Woo! I mean, it is, it's amazing to see what he's doing per 100 possessions. Exactly. I mean, it's ridiculous. And the fact that he's managed to basically channel, I want to say, Jeremy Lin and do it in a more facilitative manner where he's not shot hunting unless he has to, which is something different from what Lin did when he was here. But that was a big thing is that, Tony Parker is essentially being that coach, that professor. Oh, and he's giving you buckets at the same time. So So I I think where this all ends at the end of the season, I think he doesn't get a nomination. You know, if if you're just looking at the three, I think he doesn't get a nomination. I think you might get a couple of votes maybe at the end, assuming that one, he stays healthy, like the stipulation Rick made. Mm -hmm. And also he continues to play at this kind of level. Yes. I think Tony would get some love, like maybe a vote here or there, and simply, and I'm sure the namesake helps as well. I think people would like to give Tony Parker a Six Man of the Year award, but I think at least his name is going to be brought up as, hey, that guy had a pretty good season off the bench. Yeah, absolutely. Let's the, show him some love. The one thing I do worry about is if this thing goes south, is Tony Parker even on this team in February? Because the way he's playing right now, Someone's going to need a backup point guard. So if this goes south, this may end up helping the Hornets more than we think. Yeah, the numbers certainly don't suggest things are going to go south when you just look at some of the analytics or the efficiency stats and just other stats among how this offense is performing right now. But yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, if somebody does find a lot of value in Tony Parker to the point where you can't say no to a trade, let's say there is a team in need of backcourt help that if they get Tony Parker, it'd be the difference in them making a playoffs or playoff uh, spot or not, maybe making a deeper run or not. Solidifying a backup point guard spot. I mean, Houston, you're kind of crying for it right now. Yeah, Houston might be a team that would be interested in that and Tony going down to uh, play back in Texas. Uh, who knows? You know, who knows? Certainly that could be on the table later on in the season. Uh, Lamb and Batum not being a disaster defensively. Nada, you do not agree with that, right? I d- <sighs> Lamb has way too many defensive lapses for me to say it's not a disaster. Because I just started thinking about that Toronto game. And granted, Toronto has made everybody look bad. 
Go ask LeBron, who had to go console himself at Diddy's birthday party <laughs> the, right after. Which, again, I don't blame him, but still. I would just say this. Like, there are defensive to- there are times defensively where he's just not going to give it to you. And Batum has basically shouldered a lot of the big load defensively, which is something I didn't see coming because we're looking at Portland Batum, where he may not be giving you the buckets, but the assists and the defensive stuff, he's giving it to you in spades right now. Praise for MKG's temperament for adjusting to a new role was interesting because it, it's not that I'm sh- – completely shocked that this is the way that Michael Kidd Gilchrist chose to handle this. It just is refreshing because anytime you talk about a position change, what you get from these guys is the, they they don't want to guard some of the bigger guys down low. Exactly. And so they don't want to take the beating because it's tough to play down there. You're, you're going up against bigger guys every single night. They throw you bows. It's a physical matchup and that kind of wanes on you on the offensive end. And MKG kind of knows the player he is. I mean, you're not talking about some prolific score whose offenses, her, her offensive skills are going to get compromised because he's guarding four. So that's not on the table. So I do think it might be a little bit better for him to accept. But still, you're going to the bench no, and you're still. moving positions entirely. Kudos for MKG, who has been playing well. Talk about six men. I mean, I you could say MKG has been the better bench player if you really wanted to. Certainly you defensively, could. you could. You could. And the thing is, with a, for a guy with injury history like MKG, for a guy that we read a scouting report saying, all the injuries have sapped his defensive elite defensive ability for him to make that kind of commitment to, you know what? I'm just going to play ball. I'm just going to do what I can, can't control the rest of it. And I'm just going to go out here, play ball, do the best I can. And for him basically to say, okay, cool. I'll play four. I'll play five. I just won't play. Yeah. Legitimately doesn't care. Like doesn't care. (laughs) It's just sure. Just throw me out there. And it's gotta be a coach's dream. And coach Borrego has said to us as such that he's been a dream to work with. Exactly. And it goes back into my point of coach Borrego's best coaching job is MKG and it's not close. Yeah. We're coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do. And that's make more sales. The Charlotte Hornets, they do take on the Atlanta Hawks tonight. They come to town and play at the Spectrum Center. We'll start to preview that game in the next segment here on the Locked On Hornets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. Charlotte. How strong is an ox? Are we? I think we're overrating the ox. Uh, we are I, not overrating I, the I ox. Need to see, I need mm. to see some medicals on the ox. Yeah, why don't you do the research on that? You put your lab glasses on. You take a look at it. I wonder if there's mind. anything on the internet. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. You excited to see Trey Young tonight, possibly? Um, with that three three point defense, uh, if I want a Hornets win, I I wouldn't be. <laughs> Trey Young coming to town tonight as the Atlanta Hawks uh, are three and six heading to the Queen City and the Charlotte Hornets. They are five and five, so it's not like the Hawks, at least in the early going, are complete pushovers. They will put a lot of points on you. They beat Miami. Yeah, they did beat Miami. The other two wins have come against Cleveland at the beginning of the season and Dallas, so they were two and two at some point, but then they did lose to the Bulls. They lost on the road against Cleveland. They lost to the Kings, although the Kings are actually playing some pretty good basketball right now. So. The Atlanta Hawks at three and six. I, I would be. It would be a bad loss for the Charlotte Hornets to drop this one. No excuses. Go two and two, 
in this homestand. I think three and one, we've talked about it. That's been my goal for this team. Mm -hmm. Go three and one during this, and that's the minimum what you could do and still be classified as a successful four-game stretch before you head into this three-game road trip. But the Atlanta Hawks do have some offensive firepower, and Trey Young is responsible for it. Now, it's he gets to the rim, and he's actually shooting a decent clip, I believe, at the rim right now. He is. I don't know if that if you can expect that to keep pace all season long, but certainly what the guy can do more than anything is kill you from the outside. He's averaging 19 points right now. He is averaging eight assists on the season. He's not a very efficient shooter at this time, only shooting 32%. His field goal percentage, even only shooting 32%, it's actually 44, which is for uh, uh, it's uh, all right like 30 30 uh yeah 43.8 so for trey young i mean it's for not, a rookie for a slight framed rookie that's pretty good yeah i i think you i think you take that considering also he's shooting 32 percent from three-point range and again the nine assists i mean he can create certainly the, the one thing is i saw that torian prince is doubtful for this game yeah. i don't think there's been an official word as of this recording but torian prince i i think a lot there's a lot of people that love themselves some torian prince i am one of them yeah i'm a fan and if he's doubtful that takes away a guy that's a three and d player 15 points per game for them so he's a big part of their offense as well so if he's gone and then you're dealing with Kent Bazemore Alex Len, Trey Young some of the younger guys and and Vince Carter we get to see once again in an NBA uniform which is still just so amazing but the Hornets need to get this done tonight yes That's they just do bottom line. they do and, and I'm just afraid that it's either going to be Bazemore or <laughs> Trey Young or maybe Torian Prince pulls a Willis Reed in game 10 of this season and decides, <laughs> you know what? And the crowd goes wild in game 10, yes. Hawks-Hornets game. Exactly. Crowd goes wild and he goes and puts up 30 and the Hornets lose. I'm I'm just wondering who's going to be our Cameron Payne scrub that scores no, 15 don't put to that on 17 us. tonight. Yeah. That's all I'm wondering. <laughs> don't put that on us right now because the Charlotte Hornets – they do need to get this win. Uh, it's not, I mean, again, we can go with the must-win conversation here. No, but this is absolutely must-win. It, it's a bad loss. It certainly would be an awful loss if they did drop this one to the Atlanta Hawks. Probably be the worst loss on the season, maybe, no, with Chicago. No. Is that the worst one? Chicago's still bad. Yeah, you're right. S- still the worst. Yeah, you're right. Chicago still would be the worst. But Trey Young, I am interested to see. I know a lot of people wanted them to take Luka Doncic, and I know we talked about this yesterday. Luka Doncic the, is the leading rookie scorer. He's, he's looking good man and and now with the Hawks it was a nice offer to move up just a couple of spots and if the Hawks were really okay taking Trey Young then fine and you still again it's going to be a couple of years before the jury's out but Luka Doncic certainly is playing some very good basketball right now and I actually do like a lot of the younger plays that we we spelled our love for or we said our love for Amari Spellman um, coming in as a later pick in this year's draft. And I, I think good things come his way. I actually like Tyler Dorsey, uh second round pick that they had a couple of years ago. I hope he's able to continue to stay on the roster. They got a they have an interesting, interesting little roster that's gonna be really good in about a year or two, and I, it's gonna be really dangerous. I'm just intrigued, right? Like I'm intrigued to see how all these young pieces come together because there are some nice pieces to me at least. I, oh, I'm there interested are. to see how the chemistry ends up working. Um and uh, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully they stave off at least one more game before all that chemistry comes Exactly. Let, let, let's wait until, I don't know, May of next <laughs> year for that chemistry to come together. Do not lose this game tonight, Hornets. This is a bad loss. This is this will be your second worst loss on the year. And being five and six and going on a three-game road trip that doesn't look very friendly 
is not a good way to go. All right. Uh, thank you for joining us here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. We will recap that Atlanta Hawks game tomorrow and look ahead towards the Philadelphia 76ers game that following Friday. Thanks for listening here to the Lockdown Hornets podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lockdown Hornets. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Lockdown Hornets. We'll be back with you tomorrow. See you guys. <laughs>